Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, everybody, I uh, am excited to, to bring this word, but I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to just uh, say thank you so much to my wife. My wife is awesome. She is incredible. And uh, this week, we will actually be celebrating eight complete years of marriage And uh, yeah, thank you, but really the applause should go to her because she put up with me for that long, and I don't think that that's an easy feat. Uh, But man, life with my wife has really been an adventure. If you were to ask me, like, top five words, uh, what has it been like being married? Adventure would definitely be among the top five words that I would choose uh, for being married to my wife because truthfully, uh, our whole marriage has been spent doing a lot of adventuring, and and, uh, and, you know, I, this was our first year that we were married. The, we were youth pastors out in Oklahoma, and uh, it was a Wednesday night, and the, it was leading into, like, 4th of July weekend. And so uh, I'll, I'll never forget where uh, we finished our youth service. You know, we, uh, I did the speaking that night, and, oh, man, it was powerful. Everybody, no, it, was, it was a good night. It was youth group, y'all, but uh, it, was, it was a good night of church, and uh, I was a little bit tired, but this idea hit me. It's like, you know what? I have some days that I don't have to be at work and they don't count against my vacation time. And so I looked at my wife and I said, do you want to go to Colorado? And uh, she was like, yeah, seriously? <laughs> Dead serious. So we went home, we loaded up the car, we packed our bags, we threw the dogs in the, in the vehicle and we just went in the middle of the night, drove all the way through to Denver, Colorado. And we started this really cool tradition where my wife and, and her siblings, her brother at the time, he lived out there. Uh, we would go to Colorado and we would set out for an adventure. And I'll never forget one of these adventures in particular because uh, we were taking on to date, that was the hardest journey, that was the hardest hike that we had ever set out to do. And we found this, this particular hike and the, the trail was rated as very difficult. It was very far. It was a hike that was so far that we needed to pack backpacks with us uh, in order to take gear because you would not go out and come back in the same day. And so uh, the, the cool thing about this hike was that at the very end, this is the whole reason we wanted to do this. When you got to the finish line, when you got to the top of these mountains, or really it was kind of situated in between two mountains, it was a really beautiful view. But as you got to the top of this journey, uh, you had this amazing natural hot spring perfectly nestled in between these two mountains. And so that's what we were setting off to go after. We were setting off to go, you know, we were busting our cans, hiking up this mountain, miles and miles through the woods, uh, nearly risking our lives, crossing rivers, doing all this ridiculous stuff just so that at the end of this hike, our exhausted bodies could soak in this bubbling, heated hot tub that was like, I don't know, like a volcano or something was heating it from the the center of the earth. But that was what we were setting out to do. And uh, one of the things I'll never forget about this journey was our, before we started, what we were doing was a little bit ridiculous, okay? So this was a long, long, strenuous hike. And we spent a lot more time than what we should have running around town and just doing, I don't even know what. We were wasting so much time through the day. This was the kind of hike where your bags needed to be packed the night before. You needed to have thought everything through, made your checklist, and took stuff off of it because you wanted your pack to be as light as possible. Only bring the necessities because it was so far and you're gaining so much elevation. But we probably left and set out for this hike probably somewhere like two o'clock in in the evening versus, you know, like hitting it at eight o'clock in the morning or even earlier like we should have. And so I'm, I'm kind of new to this backpacking thing and I grab my backpack and I will never forget 
loading this thing, and it wasn't this one. It was actually one that was quite bigger than that, but, uh, or a lot bigger than this backpack, but I will never forget loading this backpack full of everything that I thought I would possibly ever need for this journey. I am just grabbing every piece of gear that I had, everything that I thought, you know, this might be useful in this certain application, or if we come across a bear, I've got this. If we come across a, a whatever, I've got that. We've got enough rope that we could build a suspension bridge if we need it. Like, I was just ready. I was ready for anything. And I was raised uh, a Royal Ranger, if you know what that is. And so that caused me to pack this bag so heavy. But I had this idea, okay? I had this idea that was gonna be absolutely glorious. Like, like I thought this is going to be the best thing that I put in this bag, and I, and I brought it with me today to show to you, but I packed in the very bottom of my bag this. A cast iron skillet. And this sucker is not light at all. The whole time with an empty backpack that I was standing here with this on my shoulders, I was waiting for this moment when I could take it off. And I had this cast iron skillet in the bottom of my backpack with a ton of gear loaded on top of it. And needless to say, my bag was very, very heavy throughout this hike. And as we set out, I, I just envisioned myself thinking, man, Nobody knows that this cast iron skillet is in my bag. And when we get to the top and I build a crackling fire and I heat up the pan and throw some eggs in there and some bacon in there, whatever it was that I had hidden away in my bag as well, people are going to love me. This is going to be the most glorious breakfast that we've ever had on an adventure or a trail. But man, that was a big, big mistake. <laughs> I, as we made our way up this mountain and as we made our way on this trail, this frying pan got heavier and heavier and heavier and began to weigh me down. And I just kept thinking to myself in the back of my head, it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it when we get to the top and I can pull this thing out and I make that food. It's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. It, but I was really, really regretting everything that I had brought. Fast forward to the end of this story. I never took this frying pan out of my bag. It was such an exhausting hike. It, was, it took so much energy out of our bodies. We didn't even make it where we wanted to get because we started so late. The last thing I remember for the night is curling up in a little tiny ball because everything that I owned had gotten wet because it started to rain, and I brought everything except for a poncho and... I just crawl up in my sleeping bag and close my eyes and fall asleep, wake up in the morning, and all I wanted to do was get off that mountain. There's a, a story in the Bible where there's a lady, and she is on a journey. She is taking a trail. She is going to a destination. And on this journey, as she's making this trek, she is carrying around a heavy burden that nobody else or well, actually a lot of people might have known that was there, but, but nobody else was really carrying for her. Nobody was helping her with this. And, and she was just keeping this, uh, this burden all to herself. And she encounters on this journey a man by the name of Jesus. And if you have your Bibles with me tonight, you can open to the book of John. And this is John chapter 4. We're going to be spending a lot of time in this book tonight. Uh, but this is a particular moment in Scripture where Jesus uh, intercepts this woman at a very famous historic well. So Jesus is, uh, he's, he's on a journey himself. He is going from Judea to Galilee. And so in order to go there, there's several different routes that Jesus could have taken in order to, to get to Galilee from Judea. But uh, the, the route that Jesus chose was the fastest route, but it also was the most hostile, especially with him being a Jew. It was a three-day journey that he needed to take through Samaria. And it was at this point in the story that Jesus stops by a well and he intercepts this woman who is carrying a very particular burden. John 4, 7 and 8 says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, this is interesting for a lot of reasons. Jesus was a Jew, and he was in Samaria, and he encountered a Samarian woman and asks her for a drink. Now, in, in modern terms, like in today's day and age, if anybody asks you for a bottle of water and you've got a, a case of them or you've got access to water, it's really nothing to, to give that person a drink. But in this day and age, it's important to understand that there was significant hostility that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans, and it wasn't like, hey, this is currently an issue going on. This is like hundreds of years of, of conflict and animosity that was going on between these two peoples. And so here's Jesus, and here's this woman, and culturally, they have significant differences, and there is opposition that, take, that is existing in between the relationships. Not only is that shocking that Jesus would address this person, but the very fact that she was a woman was outstanding. Like, like seriously, if you were a, a Jew reading this letter in the, the original audience, this is a story that totally would have knocked your socks or, or, or your sandals off. This would have blown you away because this Jewish teacher not only addressed a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman, and he speaks to her, and he asks her for a drink. You see, in those day and age, a, a Jewish man, especially a Jewish leader, they would not address women, like period. And, and it's even noted that Jewish leaders in public would not speak to their wives, they would not speak to their daughters, they wouldn't speak to their sisters or their mothers. There were even some Jewish Pharisees back in that day and age, uh, and they were known as the bleeding and bruised because if they were to see a woman on the streets, they would close their eyes and they would cause them to run into things and they would, they would have battered and bruised bodies because out of, uh, out of just being subjected to their religion, they would sacrifice their bodies to not look upon a woman. And so here's Jesus and, and he's, he's encountering this woman at the well. And, and I want you to understand something that we can begin to see through this story. The first point that I have for you is that Jesus sees you for you and not for your baggage. Jesus sees you for you and not for your baggage. He took special interest in this woman even though she was a Samaritan and she had a notorious reputation. Okay, so this woman was a, she was a Samaritan. She was a female and she had a notorious reputation in her village. There was a specific reason that this woman was going to this well. But through this conversation that Jesus has with this woman, he begins to expose his character to this lady. And the first thing that we can see when we examine this conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman at the well is his humanity. You see, John, the, the, the author of this book, it's, it's important to note that, G, that he writes and he, he states the fact that Jesus was tired. And he states the fact that Jesus was thirsty because John, more than any other writer of any of the gospels, Gospels, he focuses and prioritizes the fact that Jesus is fully God. And here he is saying that Jesus is fully man. He's showing the humanity of Jesus. He's showing that he had a physical body, that he had physical needs. And, and, and so it's, it's so important to know as you, as you study God and as you learn and grow about God that he was fully God and fully man. And so the humanity of Jesus was on display. Another thing that Jesus, uh, that we learn about the character of Jesus in this story is his sympathy. Jesus was not a critic, but he met this woman as a friend. I want you to think about this. It was shocking to the Jews who read this for the first time that Jesus would address the Samaritan woman, but it was also shocking for this Samaritan woman that this Jewish teacher would talk to her. Like, it would not be uh, surprising for this woman, upon hearing a, a, a Jewish teacher speak to her at this well and ask something of her in service, it would not be shocking for her to be so offended or so surprised that she turns around and goes the other way. It would not be surprised if she has a negative reaction 
to Jesus asking her for this drink. But in this moment, we get to see this conversation play out. And really, the conversation that we see in John chapter 4, it gives us an incredible amount of detail. But really, we can just assume that what we get to read through this conversation is cliff notes compared to what actually transpired between this woman and Jesus as they spoke with one another. You see, there was something about Jesus in this moment. There was something about Jesus in this conversation. She looked into his eyes and she found some sort of comfort. She didn't see what she was seeing on the outside. She wasn't seeing uh, anybody being cruel to her. She wasn't seeing somebody who was being judgmental of her. She didn't see somebody who didn't want her to be around, but she found compassion in his eyes. She found warmth in his presence. And there was something about this man that drew her into a conversation that otherwise was culturally unacceptable, socially inappropriate, all these different things. Jesus was breaking down barriers, and that's another aspect that we get to see about the character of who Jesus is just in this brief section of scripture. Here we see Jesus breaking down these barriers, being a Jew, speaking to, to, to a Samaritan. This is literally the, in the chapter previous is John chapter three. In John chapter three, we have one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, John three sixteen. And so we have on display, not just the idea of God so loving the world. We see God literally in the flesh, loving the world, God so loving the world and, and not carrying her background, not caring about the baggage that she was carrying with her. He, he was there for this woman. He was compassionate. He, was, uh, he had humanity, and he desired to share with her. The Samaritan woman was likely using this particular path and was likely coming to this particular well for a very particular reason. And, uh, and this, this well uh, was, was not the only source of water in the area. But the village where she must have lived, just by archaeological evidence, the village where she must have lived was about uh, uh, over a half a mile away from the location of this well. And from what we know about the village where she must have lived is that there was access to better water within the village. And so this woman would make her journey daily outside of the city, a uh, half a mile to go get this water that was less superior, that was less fresh, less clean, less, uh, lesser quality than what she could have got close to home. Why would she do this? Why would she go during the heat of the day? Scripture tells us that this happened about noon. This was around the time when the sun was almost at the highest point. And so she would leave her house. She would leave, uh, leave the shade. She would leave security. Whatever it is that she had, she would leave that at the hottest point of the day and go to the furthest place to get just some mediocre well water when she could have had some fresh water local close by. Why was it that this woman uh, was avoiding other people? You see, as we, as we continue through the story, we learn that she had, uh, she had notoriety as an individual and not of, the good, not of the good kind. Could it be that this woman felt so much shame because of her burdens that she didn't want to visit the local wells in town? That she didn't want to go to the spot where everybody gathered their fresh water, this clean water, the better water. She didn't want to even go there and show her face because she didn't want to experience more guilt because she didn't want to have more shame heaped upon her plate, because maybe there were people there who she didn't want to have to look in the eye, because every time she did, she was reminded of her failures, because every time she did, she was reminded of her faults, because every time she saw this person or they saw them, she was reminded of her shortcomings. Could it be that this woman went way far out of her way just so that she didn't have to face the shame and the burden that she carried? Oftentimes in life, we find it easy to inconvenience ourselves rather than to face our shame. It's oftentimes so far easier of a choice to make to inconvenience ourselves than to face our shame. Here's this woman, and she's doing exactly that. I, as, a, as a middle schooler, I went through a pretty big transition. 
I grew up in a, a small nucleus. Uh, I went to a Christian school, and a lot of the people that I went to school with, I also went to church with. And so pretty much every environment that I found myself in, I found myself in a group of like-minded people. It was a small nucleus of people, and, and we all believed a certain way. We all talked a certain way. We all thought the same certain things were funny, and other things were completely not funny. But I went through this transition in eighth grade when I, I left the, the Christian school system that I was a part of for my entire life, and I entered into the public school system, and things were radically different there. My dad, in his infinite wisdom, he was like, okay, son, you know, you're uh, going to be starting a new school, and you don't know anybody there, and so in order to get you ready, I've signed you up for football camp. And you're going to go to that this summer. You can meet some guys and make some friends. And that way, when you show up to school, you won't be an outcast. You won't feel like an outsider. You'll know some people. So off to football camp I went. But this was an interesting <laughs> event for me because I still didn't know anybody at football camp. And a lot of those guys knew each other. And I also had never played football. My dad was not the kind of, I love football, but my dad was not the kind of guy that when I would like, you know, be at the house, he'd be watching the games intently and telling me what kind of play this is and what kind of like, you know, like positions are, are what and, and, and even really what teams to root for. My dad would sit down and he'd watch History Channel when the TV was on. Like, like, so ask me about George Washington and I'll give you some answers, but like ask me about football back then and I was a little bit clueless, but I, I wanted to make these friends and so I joined this team. Team. I didn't know what a lot of the drills were. I didn't know what any of the positions were. I, I remember my coach asking me, what position you play, son? And I just shrugged my shoulders. And so I played on the, on the offensive line because that's glorious. And so, um, but it's important, right? It's, it's important. But, but anyway, so, so, you know, all this stuff is brand new to me as this little eighth grade kid. And another thing that was really new was the language that I was hearing around me all the time. The things that these kids were saying uh, at, at my new school were words that I was totally unfamiliar with because of the circle that I had grown up in up until that point. The things that some of these people were laughing at and joking about were things that I had no clue what they were. And there was one day in particular uh, we were in line doing this drill where you just line up and you run full speed at somebody and hit them as hard as you can. And uh, I heard these guys behind me laughing and they're using this word and I'm like, I don't have any idea what that is. And so because I wanted to be a friend and, I, and I'm an outgoing guy and not really shy in social situations, I just said, what is that? Big mistake. <laughs> because I didn't know what that word meant. They took advantage of that situation. And one guy in particular decided that that was going to be my new nickname. And that was no fun at all. On that football team, word traveled fast, and it became a big joke. It was one big, giant, inappropriate joke. And I had a friend that came up to me, and he's like, hey, Jordan. I heard you got a new nickname there, bud. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I guess it's funny. I don't even know what it means. And uh, he's like, oh, it is not good. And then he told me what it meant, and I was humiliated. <laughs> I was mortified. This was factless. This was baseless. It was just simply given to me because I didn't know. They forced me to be on the outside and, and I was super, super embarrassed. But I, I told myself, you know what? I'm just going to keep my nose to the ground. When they say it, I'm going to ignore it, act like I didn't hear it. It's not going to bother me. I am rubber and you are glue. And, and just, you know, let that whole thing just pass me by. And that was working okay. Truthfully, it really was. Until uh, one day, my dad picks me up from football practice. And uh, we're walking to the car together. And... You know, he's asking me how things were, and this guy yells out at the top of his lungs, bye, bleep, and then bye, bleep, that, and says this nickname as loud as he could. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, I didn't know what that meant, so hopefully dad doesn't either. <laughs> well, dad knew, and he stops, and I see his blood running cold, and I'm like, uh-oh, 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 dad, don't do anything, don't do anything, dad, please, please, please. My dad turned around and marched right up that guy and asked him politely to not call me that ever again in a manner that probably in today's day and age would have resulted in a lawsuit, but uh, he was very adamant about protecting me and sticking up for me. 
But what this event ultimately led to was for the next several years throughout, you know, my eighth grade year and a few years into high school, I would do whatever I could to avoid this guy because I was mortified. I was humiliated. I was so embarrassed that A, they would call me this name and B, that my dad had to come and fight my battles, which in hindsight was actually pretty cool. But, but I, was, I was so embarrassed by that that I would change the course of direction about my life. If, if I knew that he was signing up for a specific class, I would just elect to take art. Like, I would do something else. Whatever he's not going to do, I'm going to do to avoid this person. And I believe in, in life, sometimes we can do this. We can allow the guilt and the shame that we experience. Sometimes it's a direct result of what we have done. And other times we just find ourselves in these situations where we walk into a guilt trap or we walk into a shame where we didn't do anything intentionally to acquire it, but it's there and it's a part of us. And now we've got to figure out a way to get through it. And so whatever it was that this Samaritan woman had done, it caused her to live a life where she was changing her course of action. She was doing different things. She was approaching life differently. She was making this over half mile journey there and back every single day to get a necessary supply that she needed in that environment to survive. She was doing this every day to avoid her guilt and to not look shame in the face and to not feel these emotions, to bury them further down deep. In, in the book of John, chapter 4, starting in verse 10, this is continuing in the conversation that Jesus has with this woman. And it says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and, and did, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so in this dialogue that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman, we see her being kind of confused if we're being honest. You see, Jesus is trying to communicate some spiritual truth to her. He's talking to her about living water. He's talking to her about transforming her life, changing her patterns, taking away her guilt and her shame. The very reason that she's at the well, Jesus is like, I can change this for you if you accept me. I can change this for you if you can grasp this truth. But here we have this woman, and she's, she's taking Jesus literally. She says, uh, uh, she basically, she says, uh, like, you know, you don't even have anything to draw with, Jesus. Where are you going to get this water? How are you going to get it? You, you didn't even come here with rope. You didn't come here with a bucket. You didn't come here with a jar. Where's this water going to come from? And again, Jesus has to correct her. He's like, no, 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 you, you're not getting me. I'm talking spiritually. I'm going to give you living water. And, and to a Jew in those days, living water could have meant like running water, fresh water. She's like, I don't get it. Where are you going to get this. And this leads me to this realization that so many times in our life, we can take the things that God is doing. Jesus wants to bless us. God is trying to bless us, or maybe he is actively blessing us spiritually in certain ways, and we become frustrated and confused because we are looking for tangible blessings. We're looking for tangible things that we can grab hold of. We can, we can, uh, we, we can look at our current situation and grow frustrated because we are looking for literal blessings. We are looking for tangible things, but God has blessed us in ways that are worth so much more than anything physical. We, we are look, This woman, she was looking for a physical drink. She was looking for literally something that she could drink and then never have to make this journey again. She was looking for something that she could continue to hide her guilt and her shame with, but Jesus was offering her something so much greater than that. My second point for you today is that Jesus wants to give you more than what you deserve. Jesus wants to give you more than what you deserve. You know, in my life, there have been some significant things that have happened that I have prayed for. 
And some of these things did not have the outcome that I had prayed for. There were people that were sick that I loved. And I remember praying by their bedside. I remember fasting. I remember praying at all times of the day, Lord, heal them. God, just let them make it through this. Lord, we, we, this is the outcome that we're desiring. Why is this not happening? And ultimately, some of those stories did not end the way that I had prayed. But, but in those moments, I, I, it was easy for me to get frustrated. It was easy for me to get upset because I didn't see the physical blessing that I was asking for. But God has blessed me in so many ways that are far greater than a healing on this side of eternity. These people that I prayed for, these people that I wanted healing on this side of eternity for, the good news is that they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The good news is, is that they got to have eternal life in him, that, that, that their life, although on this side of eternity is over, it's not done because God's gift is so much better than that. God wants to give you more than what you deserve. This woman was an outcast for many reasons. Possibly with this woman's life, possibly there's, there's a lot of different reasons why she could have felt this guilt and felt this shame. A lot of commentaries, if you're to study the, uh, the scriptures, a lot of commentaries would uh, pin her as an adulterous woman because of this next portion of conversation that Jesus has with her. So Jesus speaks, uh, he, he speaks and he kind of perks up her interest in this when he tells her that he can give her this water that will cause her to never thirst again. So Jesus has her on the hook, and in verse 16 it says this, Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And the woman responds to Jesus, what you have said is true. So here's Jesus, and he speaks directly to this woman's path that she has been on. She's had five husbands leading up to this point, and the man that she's with right now is not her husband. So a lot of, a lot of theologians, a lot of Bible commentators, and people that have studied the scriptures, they've pinned this woman to be an adulterous woman. Somebody who must have had multiple affairs on multiple different husbands that have resulted in these marriages coming to failure. And while that might be true in some regards, the scripture doesn't explicitly tell us that that was the sin that she committed. That doesn't explicitly tell us that that is what resulted in the, the termination of all of these marriages. It could have been that she was experiencing a lot of grief because she had husbands who passed away, whether they were, they were killed or they died in battle or war. We don't know the answer to that. We don't know if that's what happened to some of these men or not. But one of the things that we can look at is just the divorce law in that day and age. And, and, and men had a, a significant amount of power and control. And, and a man could essentially divorce his wife for any reason that he should want it. And so it's even possible that this woman's pain, that this woman's grief, that this woman's stress, that this woman's shame was not even attributed to anything that she physically did. This could have been the fact that she was barren. This could be the fact that maybe she couldn't bring forth a child. And so man after man, they put so much value in, in building a family and bringing forth a son that, that every single man that would marry this woman and couldn't bring forth a child would leave her and move on to somebody else that could give, her, give him that. Maybe this woman's story is not so much one uh, of sin, but it could be one of just plain brokenness. I want to tell you, we don't know exactly what the story is. It could be a combination of everything that we've mentioned, and it could be something completely else. But what we do know is that this woman felt a great deal of shame about her situation. She felt a great deal uh, of stress. She felt a great deal of grief, and her grief caused her to, to, to go this different path. And, and here's Jesus, and he meets this woman at a well. He begins to reveal his character to her. He begins to speak with her in a manner that is warm and that she's able to receive it. And there's some sort of comfort in this conversation that Jesus is having with her that she's not gotten from anywhere else. And it breaks down a barrier because this is somebody who culturally should not talk to her. 
This is somebody who, because of their position and their status, should close their eyes by cultural standards and ignore her completely. But in Jesus, she's finding this warmth. And here's Jesus in this point in the conversation. He has her on the hook. She wants this living water. She realizes, I want this change. I'm tired of coming to this well every single day. I want the better water. I, I would be better if I'm not thirsty anymore than to have to make this trip. I can't do this forever. Give me this water if it exists. And Jesus tells her to go get her husband. In doing so, Jesus takes his hand and he puts it on the most painful part of her life. He points directly to the shame that led her to that well that very day. Her brokenness was on full display. You see, Christianity, at its core, begins with two revelations. The first revelation is a revelation of Christ. And I believe as we look at the story in this conversation that this woman is having with Jesus by the well that day, Christ is revealing himself to her. He's revealing his character to this woman. He's compassionate. He's sympathetic. He's warm. He's inviting. He's loving. He's listening. The next, uh, the next revelation that we need to have as a Christian is a revelation of ourselves. So first, we need to have a revelation of Christ. Second, we need to have a revelation of ourselves. And what this means is that we need to realize our sin and come to the understanding that the life that we are living is no longer enough. The life that we are doing, the patterns that we are following, these patterns will no longer do. And here in this moment, this woman's sin and shame, whatever her story might be, it's on full display. It's completely open and exposed to God. And she realizes that the way that she's living will no longer do. Here we see this fundamental truth that at the core of every human heart is a thirst for something that only God can satisfy. The third point that I have for you is just simply this. The woman at the well couldn't understand her need for salvation without understanding her sin. Your need for salvation cannot be understood until you understand the weight of your sin, until you feel the weight and the depth of, of your grief and, and your shame. We cannot, uh, we, we just cannot come to this place where we understand our need for Christ until we understand just how messed up and flawed and broken we are. Verse 23 says, uh, this, is a, a con this is still the conversation that, that Jesus is having with this woman and, and she's coming around to, to understanding like just who Jesus is. She's beginning to put these puzzle pieces together and she's starting to realize because he, he obviously just was reading her mail and said things that he could not have possibly known about her in this really intimate way. And, and so, so this conversation is happening. She's like, okay, so where do I go? What do I do? How do I receive this forgiveness? How do I accept this change? You're a Jew. So do I go to Jerusalem to pray and to make a sacrifice? But what about this mountain? Our ancestors said that this is the place to do it. And Jesus replies to her when she's asking about how to, how to do this, how to, how to live this life without shame and, and how to have her shame turn into glory. And, 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 it, and this is what it says in verse 23. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And it is at this moment that she finally understands who she is talking to and how she is to respond. You see, Jesus was teaching her that through her worship, she could be made worthy when Jesus asked her for a drink at the beginning of the story, he wasn't asking her for a cup of dirty water from the well. He was asking her for her worship. When Jesus said that he would put a spring within her, he wasn't saying that she would never physically thirst again, but what he was saying is that he was gonna bless her with eternal life. Through our worship, we overcome. Through our worship, we break the chains of bondage that guilt and that shame can have upon us. 
Verse 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So this is important, and I want you guys to to focus on this. It, It simply says here, So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to these people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Just a few moments ago at the beginning of this conversation, this is a woman who felt incredible guilt, who felt incredible shame, and was afraid to show her face in town. And now upon the realization and the understanding of who Jesus was, she is going right back to the town and saying to everybody who she can get a hold of, you have got to meet this man. I have just seen Jesus and my life is forever different. And it's illustrated in the fact when it says, so the woman left her jar and went away. Look, she understood in that moment that the very thing that she had been using to draw her sustenance from, she no longer needed. She didn't need to go that same path anymore, that same shameful path to that well. She didn't need to use the same tools that she was using to get by up until that point of her life. God had done something in her life. God had changed her. The very ways that she was using to get by, she could leave behind because Jesus Christ had changed everything in that moment. She left the jar. She went to the village and she told others, I love this story, and the story's not over yet, Uh, but if we can, if you just bear with me quickly, we're going to look at the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, there's some powerful and incredible men and women of God. And one of those is the na- it goes by the name of Jacob. And uh, in, the, in the book of Genesis, roughly in the, the 30s, we start to see Genesis have, uh, sorry, Jacob rather, we start to see Jacob have a lot of kids by, with a lot of different wives. And all of these wives are producing sons. And so it's almost like ridiculous. You're like, okay, Jacob has a son and, and they name him this because they're really happy. And then Jacob has another son and they name him this because they're really happy. And the story just kind of keeps going on and on and on until we get to Jacob having a daughter with his wife, Leah, and they name her Dina. They name her Dina. And, and Dina's story takes place in the exact same location as Jesus and this woman and their conversation by this well. You see, the very well that, that they're standing by on this, del- on this day, this well was, was dug or, or was made by Jacob, Dina's dad. And Dina lived a life that uh, had a lot of shame surrounding it. You see, Dina, she was significantly abused. She was hurt in traumatic ways, and her abuse led her to feeling a great deal of shame. It led her family to feeling a great deal of shame. It led her to carrying around this heavy weight, this this huge skillet in her backpack kind of an experience. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of shame surrounding her life, and ultimately her, her shame led to the destruction of an entire village. But you contrast that a few thousand years later, here's Jesus by the, on the very same land, in the very same area as where Dina's shame led to the destruction of an entire village. And here's Jesus having a conversation with this woman who also has a significant amount of shame. She also carries a great heavy weight, a burden that she shouldn't be carrying around. And Jesus uses her story And he takes her shame, he takes her brokenness, and he uses that, creates her to be an overcomer, and he uses her life to bring an entire village to salvation. I want you to understand there's this pattern that takes place throughout this story. We have the woman of the well, and she felt shame. And then she encounters Jesus, and she overcame. And then the very last thing, and this is where she took her shame and she brought it to glory, was that she let her life proclaim. Out of the depths of who she was and the transformation that God did in her life, she proclaimed the goodness of Jesus Christ and the revelation that she had of him. And that led an entire village to Jesus. Verse 42 
going back to the book of John, and this is, this is the village at this point. After they had heard the testimony, they heard the proclamation from the Samaritan woman. They said to her, they, they, they said this out loud, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. You see, her revelation of who God was her taking her shame and transferring it into glory led this entire village to salvation. I want to ask you today, what well are you drinking from? What path have you been walking down that you don't need to walk down? Is there an area in your life where you are drinking from a source that you don't need to drink from? But you just need God to, to, to take that pain from you, to take that shame from you, to, to change your life in such a radical way that you don't have to walk with your head down low, you don't have to avoid people, but that your life and the transformation that God does within you is a testimony that can transfer on to other people. God's power is great and the work that he does in each and every one of us is great, but if we keep it to ourselves, for shame what God wants to do I believe in our lives and through our lives is to bring uh, to bring him glory he wants to take our shame he wants to take our mess he wants to take our brokenness whether it's justified and deserved or not and he wants to use it for his glory tonight if we could get every head bowed and eye closed if you're here tonight and there's an area of your life where you feel shame, where you feel like an outcast, where you feel down and out, I wanna invite you to worship in spirit and in truth. I wanna invite you to bear your soul before the Lord tonight. If there's, any, if there's anything that you need to surrender over to God, maybe tonight you realize that there's a well that you've been drinking from and the water is disgusting and you hate the walk, you hate the fact that you have to go there every so often just to hide the pain that you're feeling. I wanna invite you to worship tonight. I wanna invite you to seek the face of the God who can heal and restore and bring your shame to glory. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. God, I thank you for your word tonight. And we pray for these people here tonight who, who are struggling with things. Lord, I pray that you help their journey, help their walk with you, help them to see you clearly, help them to learn your character. And God, help them to take their shame and turn it into glory in Jesus' name. Will you worship tonight? You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory You're the only one who cares Would you stand with us today? Come on You turn mourning to dancing You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory you're the only one who can You turn graves into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways You're the only 
maybe you're here tonight and like the woman at the well in the story, this could be your first encounter with Jesus. This could be the first time where you feel his character, where you feel the warmth of his love, where you're able to look into his eyes and see his sympathy for you, see his compassion for you, feel his mercy and his grace. Maybe you're here tonight and the course that life has had you on has taken you very far from God and you have spent time away from him. You've known his love before, but because of what's happened to you, you're far from him. And if tonight is the night that you should say, Jordan, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus for the very first time. Tonight, I wanna pray for you. If tonight is the night where you have been far from God, your heart has been wandering, you have not had your eyes fixed on him, but you've had them fixed on a different well, you've been getting your sustenance from another location, you've been drawing from another source, Maybe you're here tonight and you've just been carrying a couple skillets in your backpack. These are burdens that you didn't need and you want to throw them by the wayside tonight and accept Jesus into your heart. Accept him into your life. I want to pray for you. Now the Bible doesn't give us a specific formula that you have to do, a specific combination of words that you must say in order to be saved but it's through the admission that you are a sinner and in need of a savior that allows Jesus to come into your heart and come into your life. And so while I pray for you, my invitation for you tonight is that you seek God in your own words and in your own way. You tell him exactly what you're going through. You tell him exactly what you're feeling in this moment. You express your love to him and invite him to come in and invite him to make him, to make him Lord of your life. And he will in that moment and you will be saved. So in, if, if we can get every head bowed and every eye closed in here tonight, if that's you and you just say, Jordan, I'm far from God and tonight is my night where I'm gonna begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus. Just so that I know who I'm praying for, would you just slip a hand up or wave at me? Absolutely, thank you, thank you, thank you. Scan in the auditorium one more time if that's you so I know who I'm praying for. Awesome. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Lord, I thank you for the work that you do in our hearts and in our lives, the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray in this moment that you step into these two lives, that you allow them to see you face to face, that you invade their lives with your love and your joy and your peace. And I pray that a testimony comes forth from them that, that radiates through the villages and through the towns of your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, turn our shame into glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.